Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Inside Insights. My name is Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Patricia Montestioca. Patricia, happy Friday. Happy Friday, dude. We've been wanting this since Wednesday, I think we were talking about. We have. I'm going to tell the same joke that I told you to in the pre-recording. I usually love my job, and I'm never looking forward to the weekend. It's budget season, and I'm ready for the weekend. And um, one of uh, one of my coworkers, Wojciech, said, there's nothing that ruins a Friday more than realizing it's Wednesday. And it made me laugh my ass off, so I wanted to share it with you folks. Absolutely. Um, and I... I, uh, I'm ready for Halloween. We have, uh, I won't say the brands cause then I'll piss off all of our clients. By the way, we, we do business with all y'all guys and make candy. So sorry. Um, but anyways, the amount of candy in my kitchen at the moment is insane and I keep eating it and that's problematic for so many reasons, but it's really good. And I have three kids. They're all going to be trick-or-treating this weekend. We got costumes, backup costumes, backup, backup costumes. Are I'm you getting dressed up? Yeah. I'm going to be a ninja turtle. <gasps> we're all going to be so my daughter's boyfriend he wanted all of us to dress up so we're all dressing up as the Incredibles family including the dogs because we have the two dogs my dog. my son my other everybody's dressed up as the Incredibles family and we forbade anyone from buying candy precisely for that reason so we're going after work today to all of us to buy gazillions amounts of candy because we've got an elementary school a block down there so you know how full this is going to be we oh can't yeah wait. It's getting weird. So by the time this episode ships, it will be past Halloween. So everybody will have like an extra cavity and a headache from eating too much sugar. And they'll a be so mad at their kids and they'll be anxious talking to their spouses. Like, how do we get rid of all this damn candy in the house? Um, just chill out, everybody. Eat the damn candy and have fun. You Give know? it away. Give it away if you need Give it to. away. Or eat, it, or eat it. Yeah, eat it. All right. So let's go there. Favorite yeah. Halloween candy. Go. Snickers. Snickers. Kelsey, you've never actually appeared on the podcast. Get off mute, homegirl. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Kit Kats all the way. Great choice. Mine are Reese's Pieces. And oh, that was my second I, choice. I'm like, I, I love, love Reese's Pieces. But Kit Kat has come out with a mint Kit Kat this year. Dude. Ooh. Shout out to Kit Kat for coming out with that. And again, for all of my, my uh, candy company customers that I'm offending by not mentioning, I love all of your candy. And I love helping you make better things, but you know, it's Halloween. Let's you listen to this. Thanks everybody for listening to Trisha and I. We're having a little fun on this freaky Friday or this spooky Friday, but people, we got a big interview to today. Oh my God, do we ever. We're interviewing Stefan Gantz. He is the chief insights and analytics officer at PepsiCo. He's not only a visionary, but he's also a pragmatist, which you don't usually see in the same, in the same person. He's a good man, somebody I'm proud to call a friend. Um, and he's somebody who, uh, you know, has had a vision that I've been fortunate enough to help shape and be a part of for many years. Um, but this is the year that things have started to actually move needles within PepsiCo's business around his vision. And so uh, I know you've probably heard him speak, whether it be at conferences, SMR, client summits, what have you. We're going to go a little deeper today and we're going to get under the hood of what Steph's been doing at PepsiCo with his incredible team. Um, and then Patricia's going to do what she always does, which is recap it. Let's get into this thing. Let's do this. Steph Gans, thank you so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Great to be here, Ryan. My pleasure. This is a, a conversation long overdue, I think. You and I keynoted a conference three years ago, I think, or three and a half years ago in Atlanta. 
must have been interesting for a Pepsi guy to keynote in Atlanta, but we had a lot of fun and we painted what we thought at the time was a vision to change the entire insights game. Um, I think we've made a lot of progress, but what I wanted to do today was talk to you about what that vision was that at that moment, what you've sort of learned along the way, but also what's ended up happening. Because I think, you know, we're four years into a, a pretty cool journey together and that the impacts are starting to be pretty material for, for my business, but I also know more importantly for yours as well. Um, so uh, it's, it's been quite a, quite a journey these last four years. And I vividly remember walking into your office and you said to me, I'm not an insights guy, I'm a marketer, and this is what I'm trying to do with the function. And you had a piece of paper printed in front of you. Um, take me through quickly, because I know you've done this with a lot of other folks, but what was that initial vision? And then, then we can go on to kind of what's actually happened in the last four years. I, I remember that too, uh, still, Ryan. I, I got appointed into my role now four and a half years ago. So I head up Consumer Insights at, at, at PepsiCo. And I the, the previous 10 years, I, I worked as a marketing consultant. And before that, I was in brand management and marketing at Unilever. And but with that background, what felt very logical for me is to do as the first step is to just go around all the key insights leaders in PepsiCo. Uh, and ask them, like, yeah, how is it going? And what keeps you up at night? And what are the top three things that you would change if you could? And I, and I, of course, I came there with a briefing. I was hired by PepsiCo to uh, basically raise the floor and the ceiling for the insights function and to, uh, to make sure that we were, uh, as, an, as an insights function, having a lot more impact on the PepsiCo business and uh, do that much more efficiently than uh, PepsiCo was used to at that point. And so I, I got there, I had all these conversations and PepsiCo is, a, PepsiCo is your typical global CPG matrix company, right? But, but the thing with PepsiCo is that, the, let's say the M of matrix is with a, is, is with a capital and, and it's bold, right? So the, one of the core strengths I, I, I've, I, I strongly believe of, of PepsiCo's culture and the way we organize the business is this fierce focus on being locally relevant and locally relevant local relevance is is more important than say uh, efficiency or global leverage necessarily in certainly in marketing that is. but in that context me talking to all those uh, insights leaders from asia and from latin america and from north america and europe and southern africa um, what i found was a couple of things first of all everybody needed better, faster, and cheaper tools to do their work. Everybody was eager to work together with their colleagues around the world, but didn't really know how, let alone didn't know how to leverage scale better. And thirdly, everybody just felt, without saying it explicitly, but I, I really got a strong sense quickly of the fact that everybody felt very dependent on the big suppliers out there like Nielsen, Kantar, IRI, and whatever. So if I asked, why is this tool not good enough? Why is this tool not doing it for, for you? They said, oh, well, I've told those guys like every year for the past five years and it's not changing. And so the, the, back to your question, Ryan, what was the vision? The vision was to deal with all that. The vision was to bring my function together so we could leverage scale. To, to empower insights people in all those business units across the world to do their work faster, better, and cheaper, and to sign our own, uh, let's say, declaration of independence from the powers that be in, in, in the global insights world. Of course, as, a, as PepsiCo, we have the scale to just say, like, we're going to do this our own way. 
Now, I had a, a colleague that I, uh, that I worked a lot with at that point. Uh, he's still a colleague, by the way, uh, Tim, Tim Warner. He, he had started a, more or less a, um, yeah, as an experiment. Uh, he, he just took one type of test, uh, a simple survey-based concept test for innovation. And uh, he was working with a startup and he was trying to, um, to create a superior solution. And that went very slow, didn't really go that well. And we, we jointly came to the conclusion like, look, why don't we set our ambition higher? If we can do a concept test and design our own test and make it completely digital and standardize it for, for the world, we should be able to do that with every survey-based piece of market research, every survey-based tool. And then we went into a phase, Ryan, of uh, half a year or so of talking to different parties out there and among, among those uh, were you guys and, and, and then we decided to start this journey with you guys. We started with that one particular product, right? Testing, test, testing a, an early concept for innovation. But that, that was really proof of concept, uh, no pun intended, because it was a concept. <laughs> but it, 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 it was a proof of concept for the, for the bigger vision that while we were working on it, really unfolded. And that then became what we now refer to as ADA, which is, our, which is a digital platform that I describe as the, the operating model on your iPhone, the iOS on your iPhone, on which a bunch of apps sit and every app is a different test. And so a lot of, a lot of components of what I, I could pretend was the vision now with a lot of components of the benefits <laughs> uh, then became clear over time. Because if you standard, the power of globally leveraging your scale through standardization of the way you work is not to, to be underestimated for a company our size. So the, the benefits extend much broader and much deeper than frankly I envisioned four and a half years ago. We are now at the not at the end of the journey, but four years in to your to your point. And we're doing meta, what we call meta learning studies or deep dive studies, where we can, because we have standardized ad testing now also all over the all over the PepsiCo world on our own platform, using our own test, we can, we can learn things about how to best test around a soccer game, <laughs> mm-hmm. no matter where you are in the world. We can, we can, we can test, uh, you know, we, we can do meta, uh, in, we can derive meta insights from breakfast, uh, uh, the breakfast occasion opportunity and, and the advertising that is geared towards that, that, that serves our, our Quaker brands, for example. And so the, the power of that is, is in, immensely bigger than I had originally envisioned. And we're, we're incredibly happy with the journey we started. Yeah, it is, it is funny. I think your outcome was probably more clear than you give yourself credit for, right? Like you want it to be faster, better, and cheaper, remove your dependencies, get your teams collaborating, and the impact or the outcome is sort of what you've seen. But Uh, perhaps maybe not as profound. And obviously everybody always thinks the line to disruptive innovation, which is what we've, what we've done. And obviously there's other parties is linear. Um, (laughs) It's, it's not been linear, has it? It's probably been more like a roller coaster, a fun one. Yeah, it's a roller coaster, but it's not only a roller, because to take the metaphor, literally a roller coaster, you know where it's going to end, you know, exactly. Roller coaster always ends where it began. This is a roller coaster that also changed uh, destination, 
because another example, I, I, I mentioned meta learning. Here's another example of a benefit that I didn't see coming until say two years ago. If through standardizing the ways of working pretty well drastically. So something we talked about four years ago was that insights people were spending a ton of time figuring out how to do their tests in Manila or in Berlin or yep. in Santiago de Chile. Um, and they would go back and forth on the questionnaire with their local vendor and they would do all this work that you don't need to do if you standardize a solution, right? And so a lot of, a lot of time is now given back to insights uh, professionals all over the PepsiCo world that they can use to just be better business partners and sparing partners for their for their internal clients. And yeah, let's say Tim and I talked about that in the in the in the early in the early conception of this whole idea. But I now see it uh, materialize, and it's it's significant. It's really significant in terms of the not only the time it unleashes, but also the mental bandwidth it unleashes with people to just have another relationship with the marketeers or the R&D uh, professionals that you work with in your, in your business unit. So that, that point really motivates me because I, I remember when I was, uh, so I was employee five at Zappi and I, I was working at Kantar at the time. And so I, I really think this industry needs to be disrupted. Fast forward seven years later, my hair is a lot more gray. One of my hypotheses was if you could let technology do the heavy lifting, but embed the greatness of marketing science, psychology, consumer behavior into it, people, insights people, marketers, whomever, would spend more time being creative. I'll be honest with you. The first many years of my journey, it's not actually what happened. Um, we perpetuated the people and process problems that plague a lot of companies. So I'm sure you've heard this movie before the ads going to air Monday. We can't change anything, but I heard you can test it quickly. And yeah. <laughs> I remember in our early days, I'd get those emails and be like, that's not the point of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to, to hear you, and obviously you and I talk a lot, but it's, we don't, it's, we don't actually give ourselves the credit of reflecting because we're always driving the bus forward to reflect on the fact that insights people are actually being afforded the opportunity to think and engage in strategic work while using software to do their jobs is is a really important impact. It's a crucial impact, Ryan. And also, I I like to talk about the fact that uh, I grew up in a world, uh, you know, I started my career 25 to 30 years or something ago uh, as a marketer. And I grew up in that that was still the linear world. You had this process and then you did a test, whether it's for an innovation or for for a um, for an ad uh, or or a print ad or whatever, then you did the test. The test was basically yeah, a traffic light. It was red, yellow, or green, and then and then if it's anything other than green, the shit really hit the fan because right. there was no time, right? And uh, and then you made a couple of tweaks, and then you went you went either on TV or whatever. Today's world is of course uh, uh, not linear anymore. Uh, linearity is a luxury of the past, if you want, if you, know, if you can call it that. Um, all these processes, whether it's a product development process, whether it's a test market for an innovation process or just an innovation testing process or an ad development process, they're iterative and they're circular. And, and so you need tools that support that. You need a testing tool for an ad, for a piece of communication that you can do four times if you want to, or six times, or maybe only once. 
but but the 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 role of the tool is that of a coach to help you get to a better outcome not a traffic light that tells you you're good to go or or go back and you can develop the technology and and we have certainly developed tools rooted in technology that can play that role but then you have to change the culture right that's the long tail of change is to change the culture in the teams to start working differently and to be comfortable with shooting a rough idea out there into a test and wait what the feedback is and then hear back that it's uh, that there may be something there, but it's still far off in many other aspects. And, and then be comfortable with that feedback and steer it in the right direction. That is, a, that is a major cultural change, both for insights people as well as for marketeers. And that is, I call that the long tail of change, that is, of, or at least of this change that we're making. We're in the middle of that. Man, is that powerful. If, we, if we're able to do that, then the culture becomes a much more agile, iterative, uh, on the ball, flexible, and and frankly, modern way of of working that is required to succeed in today's marketplace. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And and I've had the pleasure of of chatting with some of the 3,000 plus marketeers that work at PepsiCo. So the scale of your long tail is not a small one, right? But um, we had Fernando Khan on this podcast last season. He was talking very much about using Ada to inspire creativity, but also to give him confidence in the decisions he was making. And I, I think that's the point of marketing research can't be to grade homework, right? It's to help creators be more creative. And I, I think having those proof points and seeing those advertisements sell more things but also build brand is, is uh, I imagine that helps you on your journey to, to drive the behavior change that you need to. Just to connect what you just said to, to, to your very first question, Ryan, I, th- I think uh, at the end of the day, uh, thinking back about the vision, the world, is, the world of marketing has changed a lot over the, over, over the last couple of decades. And as a result, those things that constitute a competitive advantage for a company are different now than they were in the past. So in the past, it was completely fine to totally outsource capabilities like this, consumer testing. Uh, why? Because, yeah, uh, because you, there wasn't a lot of aspects of that that you would leverage for propelling your business at accelerated pace further. It wasn't actually, it was not only fine that it was outsourced, it was actually fine that all your competitors were using the same bloody test also, right? Right. Today, today, my ADA platform creates uh, data every time we do a test, and we do a test thousands of times a year. Every time somebody in PepsiCo does a test, uh, the data feeds in the ADA uh, database. The whole of PepsiCo, as a result, gets smarter, and not just smarter in a vanilla type of way, but smarter in our specific categories and subcategories for our specific brands. And that today is a competitive advantage because I can link that to my actual sales uh, results in market and and as a result have a closed loop ecosystem that enables me to keep improving the predictive algorithms that keep improving the ability of ADA to say, this is going to work, this is not going to work, or this is going to work on a scale of one to 10, this is going to be an eight and that's going to be a six, put your money on the eight, right? Yeah. We, we close that loop. No external party can close that loop. But 
it's because of the availability of data and, and, and our uh, ability to turn that data into value. That wasn't there 25 years ago. So it was fine to ask another company to do all this work. That's just simply not fine anymore. I, I as PepsiCo, need that to build competitive advantage. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And in your world, there's always the tension of brand building versus top line revenue growth. And what I think is really cool about what you say is your team and my team, specifically as it results, as it relates to advertising, we spend a lot of time and money figuring out what questions in what order are going to unlock the best diagnostics, the best ways to improve, but also that correlate back to market mix models or sales or whatever. And right. that I remember that to about two and a half years ago where we sort of cracked that nut and it was roughly 1.7 to 1.9 times as predictive as any other survey tool. Right. And to hear you say it's getting smarter, uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, so like you're already cooking with gas, right? And see that sort of thing get bigger and better. Um, that, you're right though, that wasn't possible. Forget 25 years ago, that probably wasn't possible 10 years ago. I mean, Murphy's Law has taken over. Technology can do a lot more for us. But it, it's also not possible today if you continue to outsource this capability. Talking about competitive advantage, that really gets me going also because we we can link these tools also to our what we call our our brand mindshare tool. So uh, our our take on brand health, yeah. um, right? Those tools are completely in sync. So we have brand health, we have actual sales data, and in the middle are our testing tools, and they are all looking for the same. Uh, the brand health and the testing tools are all looking for the same mental and physical availability drivers. That's a powerful set of enablers for for helping the business take consumer centric decisions right it, it really is well the, the other thing too that you say right so obviously you've done quite a bit of iterating testing learning discussion to then say this is our standard but there's quite a bit of local nuance and category nuance there's so many different brands with so many sub variants in each country and so there's an obje- there's an objectivity component of this is the best way to do it but then a subjective component which is you know what, for Gatorade, this is the right nuance or for Doritos, this is the right nuance. And I think that's the other part of insourcing the analytics side, which is every business, even if you're in the same category is slightly different. It has its own subjectivity, its own shareholder dynamics, management team dynamics, what have you, that you've actually accounted for within ADA. Yeah, now, what we like to say global tools, local insights. Right? And so the, the biggest... Look, the biggest enemy of strong consumer data, consumer insights work in a big company is vanilla, right? Is is uh, <laughs> as a as a as a metaphor, not as a flavor. But uh, thanks for asking that because I, I I need to clarify that when I say meta learning, I, I mean the opposite of vanilla. But I I mean I mean bringing to life the also the some often cultural nuances between, uh, I don't know, how to, how to best communicate around a sports event between Europe and the US in, 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 on, on Instagram, <laughs> right? That's the kind of stuff. And then within Europe, you know, it's very different between Switzerland and Spain and, and the UK. And, and we're incredibly aware of the fact that we should never fall in the trap of, of thinking there's such a thing as a global consumer insight. I mean, there isn't really. I don't believe in that at all. Yes, there are, we're all human beings, so there are similarities. And, 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 and you, depending on how you look at it, the similarities are, are bigger than the differences, right? But 
that is not the, the level of insights that helps you sell more potato chips or, or, or Pepsi. The granularity is local and, yeah. uh, and needs to come from the markets. That's why these tools do nothing but empowering local talent do amazing work. That's really what these tools are for. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that even in the local levels that they're getting the ability to be more strategic, I mean, it, it's it's really incredible. I think one of the uh, detailed design parts of the the thinking that that we've kind of got on Ada is it's it's local within the country. But if you look at here, we are we're both in the East Coast of the United States recording this. The the nuance even within a country, the subgroups, the different types of people. I mean, so what. You know, one of the things I think your team did very intelligently with Ada is, you know, most companies will test an ad and be happy with 150 consumers. You're you're talking to 600 and you're cutting it by, you know, a, a pretty robust set of subgroups, whether they be early adopters or demographic subgroups, because even within a country, right, there's nuance. And, and I think PepsiCo has done a really good job of, of capturing that. Um, because not all your brands are for mass consumption. It's also for the. It's also completely aligned with the how brands grow doctrine that that we that we are subscribed to in a big way, yeah. right? We need to our brands need to talk and walk in ways that appeal to broad audiences. We cannot. We don't have brands that can afford to talk to niche audiences. The first ambition is always to appeal to a broad audiences, and then within that. It's super interesting and, and important to know how we're doing versus more specific audiences. But the, the, but the overarching ambition is, you know, is the, is the broadest definition of our, of our consumer of our, that, that actually consumes our, our, our product or our, our category, I should say, is, is she or he interested in what we have to say? Or, or, or what we plan to sell him or her. And that, that is, that is stop, you know, that's the first point of call. And then within that, okay, you, know, you look at, at subsets. Very, that's super useful. But indeed, to your point, yeah, we need a big sample set. So we're actually, these tools that we built, they have like two to three times more respondents than the typical tool you would buy out there in the marketplace for exactly this reason. The, thank you, technology, because they're they're usually still uh, cheaper, which is always good. So I, I wanna I wanna ask you a little bit about sort of impact. So we've talked about people they've elevated. We've talked about the fact that you've got this continuum of testing that you can now do. This ability to integrate it into other systems. One constant thread of measurement. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but has has the creative performance improved over the four years? I mean, have you seen the ad results, the sales results improve alongside the work that you've done. I know you said you've been attributing a lot of this. Yes, I dare say that we have made and still are making progress on that. I mean, we've had an incredible disruption since uh, now, almost two years now in COVID. Yeah, good point. Uh, COVID, the disaster that it is that it is for so many people has actually led to accelerated growth of a lot of our categories, right? So... So, and then as a result of that, it's slightly challenging to, to kind of separate the impacts of increased consumption as a result of the fact that people were staying more at home and, and the, the increase in uh, e-commerce uh, buying as a result of that as well. And then the, the advertising and, and other marketing that we did. 
And then the fact that the NFL and the NBA were suddenly heavily compromised in, in terms of their normal schedules and what have you. So there was a, all those impacts make it a little challenging to, 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 for, for me to say, uh, oh, yes, this is, this is you know, um, so many points uh, uh, improvement. Right. However, I think the strongest direct evidence that we have is twofold. First of all, the numbers look, look very good. And, and uh, secondly, uh, any, any marketeer that works with ADA that, that you would want to talk to in, in, in PepsiCo will sing the praises of the fact that these tools are simply um, enabling them to make better advertising. And by the way, that, that, that goes for not only for TV advertising, and that, 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 that is also for, for digital advertising. That toolkit continues to grow and, and hence elevate its, its impact. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're, and you're absolutely right about the, the climate. Um, but, you know, from what I've seen in the data, the ads are improving and there's a lot more early often evaluation and optimization. And then to your point with, with digital, um, it's been a big po- point of focus for Ada this year. And I, I think she's done a wonderful job. Um, and, and I guess, how do you see the, the, the blurring of channels going, right? As for a business that was well, I mean, one of the main TV advertisers, I think there's, a, there's a, obviously a big percentage of, of spend now going to digital assets. And so how, how does Ada sort of balance the, the ever-changing media placement dynamics that, that PepsiCo is uh, experimenting with? Yeah, in, in many different ways. It's a big question that, that you're asking because, of course, the landscape is changing so much. Uh, PepsiCo now globally spends about 40% of its, its marketing investment dollars uh, on, on digital media. So... Ada has a, a TV testing tool, it has an online testing tool, but it also has a tool that is completely uh, integrated with our uh, global digital asset database, right? So everything that gets posted on Facebook, Instagram, and, 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 what ha- and, and, and YouTube, what have you, gets posted in a centralized uh, repository within, within PepsiCo. Before you can send it into that repository, it goes through ADA. And, and so it gets checked, uh, checked against the 10 basic golden rules for impact on whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever, TikTok, you name it. So ADA becomes, uh, the, the toolkit grows the, and, and the, the, in, the, the tools get, get heavily integrated in, in existing processes, right? Which is mm-hmm. super powerful because that, that, that is ultimately, of course, the way one way to drive uh, effective change. So back to your question. So what does what do, what do we do to keep up, right? So the toolkit is broadening. The toolkit is getting integrated in all the different processes that lead to content. And over time, of course, the, the, the TV, t- TV advertising is going to look more and more like online, online advertising. We're going to approach this from, from, from both angles. And then you've got the growth of one-to-one advertising and communication also has its is a huge opportunity for our categories, which is of course something that Ada will have to have to uh, evolve to as well, and that's something we're we're thinking uh, thinking through as we speak. I, I, I threw a, I threw a hard one at you. We were making fun of baseball earlier, so I guess that was my fastball. Um, but you know, one just sort of thinking out loud, right? Like one of the benefits of having what you know so clearly available across three thousand marketers, however many hundred insights people is that you can also experiment with new territories, right? So in a world where one-to-one marketing and programmatic marketing, and there's different digital partners or boutique agencies sort of on, on, the, on the advertising side, 
knowing what you know means you can test new assumptions, I think, in a, in a creative construct. And I, I'm curious to see how Ada, how Ada helps with that as we go forward. Um, and I know there's been a few examples, which we're not going to share here, that I've seen within the business of someone experimented, it worked, we then made it better on Ada and then put it into the mainstream, which yeah. is pretty cool. There's, there's a lot of different aspects of, of, of marketing that we can extend and we will extend into uh, with, with Ada. Uh, innovation testing is, is an obvious one uh, beyond just concept testing. Of course, you've got, you've got your concept testing, then you've got a kind of at the end of the road, you've got your, your in-home use testing. But in between, you've got your, your simulated test market uh, type of testing, which is PepsiCo and, and a lot of other companies spend a lot of money on that. The, the, the predictive value or the value of the predictions is quite low, I think, compared to what the money we spend on it. Right? And so we, I think Ada can do a much better job at that if we apply the same thinking we've uh, applied to advertising testing to that type of innovation testing. That's something we're looking into now. Well, yeah, and a new horizon for us. You're, you're right, though. I mean, like, I, so I used to do a lot of home use, use testing in a previous life. And so much of why that stuff's expensive is logistics and operations yeah. and processes. And so, yeah, presumably technology can do that work. I think may, maybe we'll look back in 20 years and say we picked the hardest thing to do first because uh, we're evaluating creativity uh, yeah. with machines. <laughs> so we've, we've figured it out. You and I can laugh about it. But um yeah, perhaps we should have had our head examined a few years ago. Who knows? With a lot of that type of testing that I just referred to, the feedback you always get is like, yeah, yeah, no, the, the prediction was very off, but you changed the input, right? So you spent yes, less of sizing, yep. the distribution was more and this and that. But that's, that's linear thinking bumping into uh, today's reality, right? Um, the, the, the world is not linear anymore. So we need tools that allow us to... Con- constantly even on a weekly basis or on a daily basis if we if the business needs to that constantly changes the input parameters yes. and that can deal with that and that we can you know and so we can just run the model a thousand times if we have to it's uh, such a good point like it's going to change <laughs> period it's yeah. the constant in the world we live in so we have to be able to adapt to it all right so i have two more questions for you you've been very generous with your time my friend i appreciate you so on the surface Better, faster, cheaper, insights people that are not programming surveys all day, check. People are collaborating in ADA because they, they're beginning to look at local global nuggets that could potentially be tested and applied locally or vice versa. Mm-hmm. It, I won't put words in your mouth, but it does read like you've exponentially reduced your dependency on major suppliers. And, I'm, and I imagine you've repurposed that dependency for other things that they're good at. Mm-hmm. Um, is that fair? Yeah, that is starting to be fair. Absolutely. We're working hard on that. You've sort of check, check, check on the original vision, not the linear path that you probably weren't expecting because you're a wise man. So if you're talking to you four years ago and who you're actually talking to is somebody listening to this podcast saying, God, I'm at the beginning of this journey. What are some of the pieces of advice you'd give to folks? Yeah, my, my advice is really, it boils down to very basic change management type of advice, right? I think one thing that we did really well four and a half years ago when the journey started for me at PepsiCo was that we got the, we got the, the 15 insights leader together, also physically, by the way, which also helped, which is more challenging today, but from all over the world, all those senior insights folks. And all of those people, by the way, have a, 
you know, have and, and, and had at that point a career in insights, right? That's an important thing uh, because that means they're, they're complete rock stars in their fields, but they're also used to working in certain ways. And, and, and that's why, and I'm bringing that up because it was even for that reason more important to collectively come to those conclusions of the change that we wanted to drive. Because if we wouldn't do that as a collective, it, it would just completely break down because you know, every, the, the, you know, change is difficult. Insights, people that make a career in insights are not necessarily talking about my own colleagues in, in PepsiCo, but uh, they're not the most change-minded people because they're often, so much is at stake, right? They're, they're often right. looked at, it's, 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 it's a bit like a, a, a culture of accountants. Uh, it's like, you know, you don't want to mess up the books. That's just the bottom line. You don't want to, you don't want to present wrong data, flawed, flawed information, uh, faulty test results. That's like a nightmare. So experimenting and consumer insights are not necessarily each other's friends. Anyway, I digress a bit, but so because of all that, super crucial that as a leadership team, we said, these are the five things that we want to, that, that we really want and that we really want to change. Okay. And, um, and then we got to work. Uh, and, and what I found, and that is something, you know, that's also, you know, that makes my job so great uh, because I work with people who are, once, once, once you've landed on a, on a joint vision, I work with people who are incredibly eager to contribute. Whether, they, whether their day job is to run a big part of the insights agenda in, in the vast North America market, or they're at the other side of the world running 34 different markets uh, from an insights perspective, people stepped up and said, hey, uh, I'd like to help on this, or, or even I'd like to own this initiative. So it was never a global team. It, it was never the, a thing the global team did. It was a thing that the, the collective uh, uh, function uh, did. And when I say global team, by the way, I, I mean the head office team. So it was never a head office initiative. It was a, it was a truly uh, global leadership ambition and, 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 and piece of work. That, that is really inspiring uh, to me. Uh, well, you know, just the other thing too, and just I remember this day as you're talking, it was leadership that was bought into principles, which I think... You know, you hear a lot about slow no's. You never got a slow no with Ada, I think because you bought into principles. But I remember, we're going back probably two and a half years ago. It was December in Boston. And I hosted 40 PepsiCo employees. None of them were executives. They were all dialed in to say, how do we make the future of advertising better? And so my point is that democratization then went through the organization. I, I vividly remember having a whiteboarding set of meetings with those 40 people, all of them were extremely bright, bought into the principles, but we were putting ourselves 10 years in the future and thinking, what, what's advertising going to look like? And actually, I wish I, could, I, wish I still had those post-it notes because it was an inspiring day. But it's just to say, I think that lesson in getting the local teams to own it is so important and everybody always misses that step. But they, yeah. to, I'm, I'm giving Stefan credit um, because I've actually seen it in practice that the local affiliates are actually owning the change at this point, which I imagine on some level makes your job a little easier, but it's, it's the right way to do it. I just, I guess I, I came to this role with two things. For the first uh, 15 years of experience as a marketer in, in, a, in a similar company, right? A global CPG. 
And secondly, what I learned from my days as a, as, as a consultant is that in, in marketing, it's really about building the global might for the local fight. That is what people have, you know, all my colleagues are sick and tired of hearing me say that. But, but that is, in my view, and I've seen it work now also in, in, in the team, that is an inspiring way of looking at the role, the potential role of a global function. Right. It's about how can you leverage, your, how can you create global might for, for your local in-market fight? How can I make your job, you're in Boston, say you're responsible for your local uh, brands and, and, and local, local businesses in the Northeast of the United States, how can I make your job easier and more effective? And that, that is global mind for the local fight. That is, that is inspiring for a lot of people. And that's why you get those responses that you just referred to. Partly probably inspiring because it's right. As you said, like, yes, we're people underneath it, but our cultures, our, our behaviors, I mean, they're just so different in local environments. Even in, we're sitting in the U.S. I mean, you go to different parts of the United States, it's completely different culture. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, no, that, that's fantastic. All right. I'm going to sneak in an extra question because we've got time. <laughs> my, my second to last question, you have a fictitious open role for an insights manager. What are the attributes that you're looking for, for a future proofed insights professional mindset, uh, attributes, skills, DNA. I'm just paint a picture of that ideal profile from where you sit. We've done a lot of work on that and it's a, uh, but let me, let me keep it simple. I, and, and, and this is something that I, uh, also, yeah, I like to talk a lot about a lot, so I'll, I'll try to keep it short. But take, take your time. It's important. It's, uh, uh, what we need are people that are curious, courageous, and inspiring, right? Um, and 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 so let's let's start with 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 curious. That's pretty darn obvious, I, I think, right? I mean, if you're not curious, you have no you should go and do something else. Uh, I mean, totally. you, you shouldn't work in marketing or, and then certainly not in consumer insights. So curious really about uh, why consumers do what they do. Curious about, you know, are there better ways and more interesting or more exciting ways to grow our business? Uh, so insights people, if, if, if you look at PepsiCo, there's like uh, 275,000 people at PepsiCo. There's less than a thousand people in, in, in the global consumer insights function. 99% of those, those 275,000 people are, are involved with making, moving and selling our, our products. Those people are not necessarily constantly looking outside, thinking, you know, how, you know what should we be selling and, and how should we be building this brand? And, and is our communication really effective? And some of them are, to their credit, right? But they, they have very busy day jobs with making right. and selling our product. So you, you need consumer insights people that are incredibly curious. That's one. Then you need those same people to be incredibly courageous as well. Because if they come up, if they see something, if they find something, or if they develop an opinion that goes against the way stuff gets done at the moment, they need to speak up. They need to be able, another example or another dimension of this, they need to be able to insert themselves in commercial discussions that they feel are not sufficiently consumer centric. Right? So you need courageous people that, you know, with the power of the whole functional family behind them, 
the dare to step up and 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 step in. Uh, so you need courage, curious people that are courageous, and then thirdly, uh, uh, inspiring. Because if you're not inspiring, who's going to listen to you? You need people that that are able to really understand that's part of inspiration for me really understanding your stakeholders really being able to step in the shoes of the marketer you work with or the r&d professional or the design uh, team member that you work with and really figure out what it is they need to do their job and uh, that really enables you to be inspiring you need to be able to keep things simple uh, because uh, there's always two there's always too much information and, and too many data points. So um, that is a driver of inspiration, etc. So curious, courageous, and inspiring. Those are the three things that I would be hiring for. I love that. I love it. I, I probably uh, should have done a whole episode with you about this because I'm under I'm I'm underrepresenting the amount of time you and your team have spent on this topic because it's people, it's process, and it's technology that drive change. Um, and I think you, you folks are equally focused on all three, which is which is really important. Yeah, that's right. So maybe next season, we'll get you on and we'll talk just about people because they're they're really important. Oh, there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but we're short on time. So I'm going to decide on the last question. All right, here's my last question. I consider you a great business partner. We've always been open and direct with each other through good times and bad. You have a lot of people, I'm sure, that call you and want to partner with PepsiCo. Um, I imagine a lot of those people don't see themselves as vendors. What does partnership mean to you? And what does an ideal partner uh, look like from your perspective? Yeah, that's a big, that's another big theme, right? No softballs on the Inside Insights show, Steph. Only fastball well, today. I actually, I actually had a session with Bebita from, from, from your team at Zappi about that. Uh, what what does outstanding partnership look like? And I'm not starting with the most important thing. I'm starting with okay. that comes to mind. Yeah. So first of all, outstanding partnership obviously uh, includes that you're bringing an inch wide, mile deep capability to the party, to me, to my business, to my colleagues. That is worth considering. So I, I mean, that that speaks for itself. Sort of table stakes, right? Yeah. You're bringing something of value. Secondly, when you bring, you come up, you knock on the door and you bring something of value, you got to have empathy for my role in PepsiCo's operating model. I like to talk to you about my role, and I'm not even joking. I say I've got a big responsibility and zero authority. That's not the case anymore. That was certainly so in, in the first couple of uh, months or so in my, in my job. But, but on paper, I've got a big responsibility and zero authority because two thirds of the insights people in PepsiCo don't report to me, or they're part of my function. Uh, but I, they're part of the local BUs, uh, business units in all over the world. So the reason I bring this up is that if you come to me with a plan, I can only really do something with that if I can figure out with you a way in which I can make it relevant for business units from day one. <laughs> That's why we pilot so much in PepsiCo. Okay, let's try this out in Argentina. Let's try this out in Egypt. Let's try this out in uh, in Vietnam, and then we'll take it from there. But this is personal. I want to work with partners that bring in a, a, a brutal outside-in perspective. I don't want people to bend over backwards and, and completely necessarily adjust to the way things are done in PepsiCo. You and I have a brilliant example of that. When ADA got going, 
I remember, I literally remember, Ryan, two and a half years ago or so, you, you, we were at the, the, the rollout of the first tool. I was over the moon with how that was going. And you called me, you said, you guys are driving us nuts. We're getting thousands of purchase orders in the last four months. I don't hire people to do bloody purchase orders in the, in the system. You got to make it simpler for us. And, and we did. Did, of, and I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm grateful for that because that was a huge simplification uh, effort. But So I don't want to work with partners who just hire 150 people to deal with my bloody purchase orders. That feedback that you gave was an opportunity for me to drastically simplify our internal processes. Uh, aligned incentives. That's, that's one of the things I like, I like the most of the way we work. You and I are, you know... If Ada is doing well, you're doing well, and I'm doing well. Uh, and that sounds simpler than it is in, 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 in real life, right? If you join, I always, the negative example is if you join a, if you join a gym, they, have, they are very incentivized to sign you on, and then they're very incentivized to make sure that you never show up. Uh, because they sign on much more people than they can handle. <laughs> so they, so that, that's, that's horrible, right? I, I want it the other way around. You'll see a lot of campaigns in April to work out. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, and finally, empathy with me also as an individual, in, in, as a leader, it helps. Sometimes there's, there's parties that, that just come to me and they, they, for example, either they have zero empathy with me uh, in my role, so, so so they expect that I can just buy something and roll it out to 175 markets uh, for them. Okay, so I talked about that just now. But also, it's got to be material. I never get an email from somebody, or hardly ever, who says, "I got this thing. It's a widget that can do this and that." Um, if you could just tell me who to talk to, then I would be very grateful. I hardly ever get that. It's so logical, right? People are always trying to sell to me. I'm not, I have zero budget, <laughs> right? I don't buy stuff. Right. I just <laughs> anyway, those are a couple of parts. So partnership is about all those things. Um, so I will, I will abruptly get you off the phone because uh, I've told you to budget for 45 minutes. I really appreciate your time um, and your open and honest answers. You know, the question I didn't ask you was where's Ada going next, but we're going to give PepsiCo a little competitive advantage and not let him answer that question. And you folks will just have to wait and see where Ada goes. But I heard she's a rock star employee and she's, she's going to keep doing her thing, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, Stefan, thank you so much for your open, thoughtful, uh, and, and provocative points here today. Uh, on behalf of my audience, I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to share with us. My pleasure, Ryan. Always good, good to talk. And uh, we'll be in touch, yeah? All right, sounds good, buddy. Bye, everybody. So, Patricia, we, we ran out of time with Steph. Um, I always, you always do. You always yeah. do. I think I'm going to start booking more time because, like, you know, we, we have some cool guests on our podcast and they have They're really amazing. great things to share. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I run out of time every single time. So, I'm going to start making this a 75 minute interview. Patricia, I'm going to have to do 12 or 15 bullets instead of 10. Yeah, that would be stressful. And then both you and Kelsey would be like, come on, this is a lot. And then, our, you know, we'll, we'll keep it <laughs> 60 minutes. I'll just get better. I, I think we should just invite people for a second shot. I mean, that's, there's nothing wrong with coming back next season. I know we're in season three, season four. Going to be fire. Hot. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs>
Can't wait. Yes. Can't you know, wait. we're just getting started here at Inside Insights. We got, uh, we're breaking, we're breaking the algorithms. We're getting more viewership. We're getting more ratings. And so we're psyched. Thank you. Give us some feedback though. Enough about us. You know, today was really cool for me because I listened with a couple of different hats on. I listened with a vision of digitized, digitized, I can never say that freaking word. And I work in this industry. Digitalization. Digitalization. I think I need Buzzwords. a glass of wine. <laughs> I need another glass of wine for that. So, but wait, let's get serious. I looked at, I listened to it thinking about the vision of digitized insights. I also listened to it of how to get your vision off the ground because I found both of those angles just so valuable. All of us want to know about digitized insights. It's the future. It's this and that and the other. See how I slurred that word right there? But many more of us, I think, have a vision and haven't had a chance to, to look at it. So whether you're listening to my top 10 bullets summary with your eye on the digitalization, whoa, or you're looking at it to help you get your own vision off the ground, here we go. So Stefan and team, including Ryan, had a vision four years ago, right? Four plus years ago. And they just wanted to change an entire industry. They wanted to change a whole entire insights game. And they've made a lot of progress progress in this past four years. And they wanted to stop and think about the progress that they've made. So this is what happened. I'm going to tell you the journey. Number one, they had a vision. He wrote it down. He scoped it out. He dreamed big. He found a partner who shared the vision and had complementary, very important competencies. But, you know, he wanted to know exactly who he was so that he could find people who did what he didn't do well, right? But make sure that the people who have complementary um, vision um, uh, competencies also share your vision. Because if not, it's going to be harder than it is good, right? The vision in this case was raising the floor and the ceiling of the insights function and making sure insights function had a lot more impact in the PepsiCo business, much more efficiently than it was today. Number two. Get to know the environment. Know where you're going to be playing. Yes, he was already in the industry, but get to know it deeper, better, the nuances, everything, the people, the culture, the business, the needs. And what did he do? He went and he listened to all the people who were going to be his stakeholders. And he found out that the Pepsi was fierce on their focus on global and local, not just global. Number one. The two, they wanted the team, everybody, without a fault, said they wanted better, faster, cheaper, right? They wanted, to, they wanted to work together, but had no idea really how. And they felt so dependent on the big suppliers. And actually they said that they felt dependent and trapped by the big suppliers. And that's kind of sad, right? Number three, revisit your vision. After you talked to all these, vision, these people, he revisited the vision. He clarified it. He made sure it was spot on. He tweaked it. And then he said, let's make it bigger. Let's make the ambition higher. Let's go bigger. And then he said, let's just deal with all the needs. And I'm like, okay, so what is he going to deal with? He's going to deal with, you know, this is a quote that you said that was absolute fire, Ryan. Usually I don't quote you because you're not the interviewee, but you just floored me today. The point of marketing research can't be to grade homework. It's to help creators be more creative. Drop the friggin' Ryan Berry. <laughs> that was amazing. That's the biggest ambition. Bringing the insights function together so they can leverage scale right, to empower insights people, and then signing their own, he, this is, this was, this was Stefan getting crazy, signing our own declaration of independence from the powers to be in the global insights world, he got so excited about that, it was great, because, you know, he's Pepsi, and he has the power to say, we're going to do this my way, I love that, number four of my top 10, get to work, and find an enabler, 
right? Not just partners. There are partners help you help you think, but there are people who make things happen for you. And he said something really cute. Don't underestimate any company because of its size. He chose to work with Zappi. We're little, and he didn't underestimate. And now, right now, four years later, they're leveraging scale through standardization. Their benefits are exceeding what they expected and, and how broad and deep they're going. They're going crazy with meta learning and deep dive studies. And they talk about meta. Their definition of meta is cool, bringing data to life and showcasing nuances. He's such a romantic. You wouldn't think that Stefan was a romantic at heart, but listen to the way he talks. It's great. I think he's a writer. Number five, understand the path is not linear or smooth. It's a roller coaster. Actually, it's not a roller coaster, he said, because it doesn't end where it began. Linearity, this is one of those drop the mic quotes. Kelsey, I hope you're listening. Linearity is a luxury of the past. Cool, right? The ride does not end. Most processes are iterative and circular, and we need the tools to support the long tail of change, which is basically the culture. So that was like number five, in the middle of the, the list. That was like, just made my jaw drop. It's all about things that happened extra along the way. Meta wasn't part of the original vision. And now they're doing that. They're better business partners and they're better sparring partners for their clients. They're mentally and physically, because he talked about mental and physically unleashed to have more relationships with people. Now they're not tagged or tied and they're letting technology do their heavy lifting. Number six, develop a competitive advantage by facing the tensions in the business. Don't ignore the big stuff, tackle it, face it, iterate and learn. Develop, you know, the things that you need to develop so you understand that yeah, the tool that you're building has to evolve with time because, as I said, number five, the journey doesn't end. This is all about, he said that he added brand building versus top line revenue growth. You guys talked about brand health management. You talked about predictability and forecasting and category nuances and having global roots but local insights. And then you said, avoid vanilla. There's no such thing. I think it was you or, I don't remember, was it you or was it Stefan that said avoid vanilla? I like vanilla ice cream. I like vanilla too. I don't think it was me. Yeah. Oh, then it was probably Stefan because I'm sure he wasn't talking about ice cream. I like vanilla ice cream. It goes best with all my toppings and with crumpled up Snickers and Oreos. Just saying. Now that they're good. Just saying. It's Halloween weekend. No big deal, everybody. Moving right along. Number seven, <laughs> roll with what life sends. We had two years of COVID. The past two years have been very difficult the past year. Roll with it but always look for the problems to solve. Help the tool solve, not wallow on the problems. And he said something that I thought was great. Think outside the box, but also think inside the box because sometimes the solution is staring you in the face, right? And he said, to do this, you have to be sensitive to human needs, industry climate, move with it, adapt. Number eight, we're getting close to the end, guys. You asked him, what is, you, you, you snuck in three last questions. Did you realize that? Three. And you know what? I actually had more questions for him. We're going to need to bring him back next year. But we yeah, I, I was going quick at the end. The first of the last questions, which is my number eight, what is your advice to others? And he said, basic change management type of advice. And I thought that was so simple. He said, gather the team, all of it at the same time, lay out your vision, lay out your plan, let them go at it, answer all of their questions. Don't be defensive, right? Make them partners, owners of the solution. He did this with Pepsi. And he got people to step up afterwards and say, hey, I'd like to help with this. I'd like to own this. It was never a global thing, he said. He said he took no credit. It was a collective function that did it. That was great. Number nine, you asked him, what are the attributes that you're looking for for a future-proof insights professional? And he was tried and true. This was, I mean, I was so glad he said this. Curious, courageous, and understanding, right? 
He wants people who are curious about what the consumers do, courageous enough to speak up, and are really able to under empathetic, really able to understand their stakeholders. I thought that was beautiful. And the last but not least, what does a real partnership mean to you? What does an ideal partner look like for you? And this was really brave of you, Ryan, because you are his partner, right? But he said, bring an inch wide and a mile deep capability. I love that. Bring something of value. But he made, he made it very visual for us all. He also said, empathy for my role and for my operating model. Live in my life. Know what, I'm, what I live and breathe every day, right? He said, bring a brutal outside-in perspective. Align the incentives. Make sure that your team and my team are both getting rewarded for the same things so that we're all pushing in the same direction. Amazing. It was an amazing. You could hear in my voice how passionate I was about this interview. It was really cool. It was cool for me to reflect outwards too. I mean, like I remember, I think, I, I don't know if I said this exactly in the interview, but like I vividly remember walking into his office and he had a piece of paper. Yes, you said that in the interview. He had like pen marks all over and he's like, this is what I'm trying to do. And um, I remember and being like, oh my started. God, this is the first time I've met a brand who wants to do what, what I want to do. This is so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and he, he said that. That was his first point. Have a vision, write it down. Yeah. So. <laughs> Our next interview is not about insights. And you want to know why? There's a, constant, there's a constant thread through our conversations of elevating our leadership, of not being linear, of growing. And let's all face it. We're sick and tired of being on Zoom. We're trying to struggle with all these tensions, societal tensions, health risks, dealing with change at our jobs because nothing's linear. We're not sure if we're going back to work, how we're going back to work. And I think it, it puts it puts an emphasis on the world of actually one of our core values at Zappi, which is leadership inside and out. Leadership isn't just for people in positions of power, because I think that's bullshit. Um, everybody is leading something in their world and everybody needs to develop the skills to lead and influence others because, you know, functional lines of management aren't how the world's going to change. So next week, we're going to interview my executive coach and my friend and uh, a psychologist, Dr. Nora Infante. Um, she is a wonderful human being who's made a profound impact on me personally. And I wanted her to share some of her secrets with all of you because there's a constant thread in these interviews of elevating our game, of being more empathetic, of being curious, of being better at storytelling. A lot of that requires confidence and empathy, and emotional intelligence. So Nora and I are going to break some of that down for all y'all. Got a few episodes left. Whether it's our last episode or our second to last episode, I can't remember, but we're going to flip the script on Inside Insights. Patricia's going to be doing, taking my seat. I'm going to be taking Patricia's seat coming up soon. Please stay tuned. But as I said, we're starting to think about season four already because it's that time of year. If you want to be interviewed, if you got something incredible that you're doing that you want to talk about, if you know somebody that we should talk to, hit us up. Uh, you can find us a million different ways. I'll tell you some of them. You can hit us up on LinkedIn. You can email Kelsey. You can email me. You can send a bat signal or a raven or a smoke signal. We are really good at that. So we can, we'll, we'll find you. If you've got value from Inside Insights, please rate us a five-star on the App Store. It actually really helps us get more uh, value to more people. To those of you who are friends of ours that listen, thank you for having our back. For those of you who don't know yet, I look forward to meeting you. Patricia, don't eat too much candy this weekend, but eat a lot of it. I will balance and, the and candy. And both with Kelsey some and wine. Patricia, I will bring in uh, next time I see you two, I will save two 
mint Kit Kats for you so you can, you Ooh, can pick up all right. down if you want. I'll see you in the office. All right, sounds good. Bye everybody. Be well, be nice Better to each dudes. other. You too.